Good morning. Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, Peter. Good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning. Um, In order to alleviate seat congestion, Zach will be leading worship next week with the accordion. So (laughs) that's a total fabrication that is not true at all. And even if it were, it would be awesome. (laughs) Now, glad you're here. The scripture that was read is from Mark. We are technically not in the Mark series. That starts next week. That's sermon number one. But in all honesty, we've been in Mark for the last three weeks. So I just, I can't, uh, can't wait for it. So we're in it to, uh, to... Just a preview. What we've been looking at the last three weeks, including this week, is where we are headed as a church. Grace Community Church, where are we going? Um, August 13th, we looked at the question of who it is we follow. We are a church that is about the Great Commission. That means that we seek to be disciples who then make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Christ commanded to the ends of the earth. So that's the Great Commission. It's, a, it's about being a disciple, which is a follower of Christ, and making disciples. So the first week we looked at who it is we follow, and that's the person of Jesus. Last week we looked at what following actually entails, what that is. And that's, that is, uh, to, to, to use a word that Jesus uses, it's about abiding, remaining, drawing near, staying near. So that's, that's what following, that's what discipleship looks like. And this morning, we are looking at, well, what does that result in? What does that result in? And it results in becoming fishers of men. That's the scripture that Peter just read for us in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, becoming fishers of men. Three things we're going to look at this morning from the text. First of all, what the world needs. And there's a message. It's called the gospel. It's good news. That's what the world needs. Second thing we're going to look at is how does the world hear that message? It entails messengers, fishers of men, fishers of men. And when I use the word men, it is, it is generically as in mankind, both male and female, not just men as in uh, males. And then the third thing we're going to look at is the implications for Grace Community Church. What does that mean for us? I mean, some of you right now, you can just, you're doing the math. You're going to encourage people to fish for men. Where are you going to put them? In that one seat right there in the front row? Um, No. Well, yeah, there's two. There's one here and one there. So all two of them. Now, we're going to address the implications. What does that mean for us as a church 
moving forward if we plan to be faithful disciples who then make disciples. Would you please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to come together as a family of believers, and for those who are not yet your followers, to come and to hear the good news of the gospel. We pray, Spirit, that you would make your truth come alive this morning through the reading of your scripture, through the preaching of your word. May people brought into the kingdom May they be born again, and may we who are your followers be equipped, be encouraged, be challenged to, to encourage others to follow you, to preach the good news to ourselves so that we might grow in Christ and abide. Uh, Father, help me to preach in such a way that Jesus is honored this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, first of all, what the world needs. It needs good news. We see here in the scripture that when Jesus comes on the scene, after John is arrested, that is John the Baptist, more about him next week, Jesus comes into Galilee, that's the northern region of of, uh, Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, and he's proclaiming something. It says that he's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel. When you hear or see that word gospel in the New Testament, it means good news. That's what that means. It means good news. The good news, the gospel of God. So he's proclaiming the good news of God. And he says specifically in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news is for people who are used to bad news. How many of you are agitated and irritated when you scroll through the news on your phone? Anyone? Okay, well, it's nothing but bad news. You see again and again and again the, 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 just the down, downward spiral of humanity. And it's not just our culture. It's humanity. And it's been that way since the fall. You see, what happened in Genesis 3, mankind decided to declare himself independent from God. Instead of establishing the kingdom of God and being under his rule and his authority, mankind, starting with Adam and Eve and on down through us today, by nature and by choice, we are sinners. That simply means we have determined that we will establish our own kingdom, thank you very much, and we will be the rulers of our own kingdom, our own spheres, and because of that, we no longer see people of image bearers of God, but we see them as commodities which are either going to help us establish our kingdom rule, or they're going to decrease our ability to kingdom rule and decrease our happiness quotient. So basically, we're just selfish, and what we have is we have a lot of individual kingdom battles. You see nations against nations. You see people groups against people groups. You see ethnic strife. You see husband against wife. You see teenager against parent. You see battles within self, self against self. You see there's no peace anywhere in the world. Why? Because there's as many people as there are on this planet, there are as, as many kingdoms where everyone's trying to rule. And that's the series we looked at this last summer with judges, where everyone did what was right. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when that's the case, you have the kingdom of man, you have strife, you have conflict, and you have the state of the world that we live in today. But the time is at hand. Jesus says, it's here, it's now. 
Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new kingdom. Jesus came to establish that kingdom in which he would bring citizens in, or, or children into the family of God where they would recognize Christ as king, as Lord, as savior. They would become forgiven of their sins. They would receive him as savior, receive, him, receive a pardon for their sins, but also receive the implanting of the Holy Spirit where now people that follow Christ who have been given the Spirit have the ability and the power to live as he has called us to live. As image bearers who see the Father, not as a vending machine to get stuff from, but someone that we have an intimate relationship with. And we begin to follow and we begin to be able to love as Christ has loved us and to love others as he has loved us. And that's an altogether different kind of humanity. That's what Christ came to establish. So that's the good news. That's the good news. It's so much more than, hey, when you get run over by a bus or die of old age in your 90s, then you get to go to heaven. Well, yeah, there's that too. But establishing the kingdom of God means that we follow him here and now, and he makes us all together different kinds of people. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the message. That's the invitation. So that's what the world needs. How does Jesus intend for the world to hear? We hear in the scriptures here, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Okay, now, I said this a couple weeks ago, but probably at least half of you weren't here. That is not the first time that Peter and Andrew heard Jesus speak. I mean, that would be weird. That would be weird. If they'd never heard Jesus speak and they're doing their, their day job, their vocation, they're running their small business, and they hear this guy and he says, follow me. They know nothing about him, but they just leave their nets and they just leave their, they abandon their small business enterprise. Many of you are small businessmen, small businesswomen. Um, you, 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 you manage a company, you manage a small enterprise. And if someone came and said, hey, drop everything and follow me, you wouldn't do that, nor should you. Jesus has been in the area for quite some time. They have heard his preaching. You can read John chapter one and see that there's a, quite a bit that happens before this moment. But they know who Jesus is. They know the message. They recognize him as the Messiah, even though they don't know what that means. And now he says, follow me, follow me. And what does Jesus plan to do? He says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Okay, now as we see this, there's... What we do, and there's what Jesus does. Let's start with what Jesus does. First of all, what does Jesus do? Jesus saves. Jesus atones for sin. We'll get to that at the end of Mark. But Jesus takes the sins of the world upon himself. He atones for sin. He conquers sin. He conquers death by his death, burial, and resurrection. Not only that, he achieves the righteous requirements of God by fulfilling the law. He does all of that. We are totally passive in all of this, in what he does. What he does is atone for sin and fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. What we do, what we do is believe. We trust. We saw this in verse 14 and 15. He says, repent and believe. That's our responsibility. 
No one will repent for you. God is not going to repent for you. To repent means to change one's course of action and one's course of thinking. It means to change direction. To turn. Turn from following self and turn to follow Christ. We do that. That is a choice. So what God does is he sends his son and Jesus saves. He justifies. That means we are declared righteous. We are declared not guilty in Christ. He sanctifies. That means he makes us more and more and more in character like his son Jesus. He justifies. He sanctifies. What's our part? Repent and trust. Believe. Repent and trust. Oh, and by the way, he makes us fishers of men. He does that. He's the one who saves. He's the one who sanctifies. He's the one who turns fearful people into gospel proclaimers to their friends, to their family members, to their neighbors, to their co-workers, to the ends of the earth. That's what he does. Now, what is our part? Our part is to repent, believe, and what is the word in verse 17? Follow. There, so there's something God does. He saves. He sanctifies. He makes us fishers of men. But we're not passive in this endeavor. Our responsibility is to trust, believe, repent, follow. If you believe in Jesus and you trust him, those are synonymous. To believe is to trust. The same thing. If you trust him and he says follow, what do you do? It's not a true question. You follow. If, if he says follow and you don't follow, what does that indicate? I don't necessarily think you have my best interest, so I'm not going to trust you. To trust leads to following. Following leads to fruitfulness. Following leads to becoming something we currently aren't yet. And for many of you, that means fishers of men. Most Christians who love Jesus do not share their faith on a regular basis. Why? Probably for a lot of reasons. Let's start with apathy. You're not aware and you don't care. That's problematic. Now, when you start to follow Jesus and you start to trust him, he starts to put his desires in you and you do start to care. But that doesn't mean you start sharing your faith because there's another obstacle. You get past apathy. Now all of a sudden you care and you want to share your faith, but you're afraid. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid that you won't have the words. You're afraid of a whole lot of things. And Jesus says, trust me. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the words. I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, last week, my mother-in-law texted Stacy and I Sunday afternoon. She says, oh, call me. I have to tell you a story. So we called her and said, what's the story? He says, oh, my pastor in our church, they have a huge church and they too play the banjo because it's Springfield, Missouri, 30 miles from Branson. And maybe that's why they're a huge church. Anyway, their pastor had this new program, this new campaign where they, they have a goal of seeing the gospel Jesus shared 8,000 times by the people that attend Ridgecrest Baptist where they go to church 8,000 times in the calendar year. And he said, oh, and... 
All you have to do is be available and willing and pray, and God is going to give you the opportunity. So my mom, my mother-in-law is, is, is almost 80 years old, and she's been a part of the church for her whole life, and she's heard this song and danced thousands of times. Okay, pastor, whatever. And so the pastor says, and you don't even have to prepare what you're going to say. You just have to be ready and available. And she's like, okay, pastor, whatever. So she goes to uh, Sunday school the next hour. And then she goes out to lunch with her friends. And, and her friend hops in the car and says, can I move your books? And she says, yeah. So she throws them in the back seat. Well, my mother-in-law's an Uber driver. So later that afternoon, she picks up three Muslim men. And she's driving them along. And these guys say, what is this book? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was back there. Well, what is this book? Jesus, who is this? Well, Jesus is my Messiah. He is the Son of God who has become man and he died for sins on the cross. Yes, we know of Jesus. He's a prophet. But we don't believe he's the Son of God. My mom, my mother-in-law started to explain the Trinity, the atonement, the death, burial, and resurrection to three Muslim men. And then later, there was a drunk and a stone couple that got into a car and they asked, what is this book? She shared the gospel twice in one afternoon, after having not shared it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Why? She was ready and available. And she just trusted Jesus, and he gave her that opportunity. That's how it works. That's how it works. Our job is to repent and believe and follow. It is his job to save, sanctify, and make us fishers of men. Okay. I want to address something here that I think is probably another obstacle. It's not just the idea that, uh, um, that there's apathy and there's fear. There's also the fact that we're just too busy. Notice what they did. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not a trick question. What did they do? They left their nets. They left. Now, this is not a universal call to everyone. Jesus didn't say to everyone that he preached to, quit your day job and vocationally follow me and proclaim me. He didn't say that to everyone. Uh, it, it says here in, let's see, next, next verse. Here we go. Immediately they followed, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired hands. He didn't call Zebedee to leave his business. He called his sons to leave the business. But I digress. Something that all of us have to do is create margin. For some of you, you're going to have to give something up if you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to have to. Some of you, you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read the word. You don't have time to establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Some of you don't have time to come to church. You found time today. It looks like everyone all at once found time to come today. But, and that's a great thing. But, but most of us are just flat out too busy. You're just too busy. I had coffee a couple weeks ago with a man who loves Jesus, who loves his family, loves his wife. He loves what he does. He just, he, he loves Jesus. And in an attempt, ironically, to be missional, he thought, I'll coach my son's baseball team. And that led to him in one year coaching six, he has, he has a lot of kids. He coached three, no, not three, not four, not five, six youth sports teams in one year. Consequently, when I had coffee with him, he was freed up just on Easter Sunday to come and worship. That was the only time he did not have a coaching commitment. Only Sunday where he was not coaching. And he realized, 
I have to create margin if I am going to follow Jesus. That does not mean that he backs out of youth sports. He's still going to be an assistant and coach a team, that is a team, not six, so that he can be missional and engaged with people in the community that don't know Jesus. How many of you can, you really, it's like, you know, that sounds a lot like me. Any of you? Probably most. You're too busy. You're too busy. You need to identify what nets you're going to leave behind. By the way, we're all supposed to repent, that is, turn away from sin. That's universal. But there's other things that God may call you to leave behind that are not sin. It is not sin to be a fisherman. It is not sin to coach a youth sporting team. That's not a sin. If you're coaching six, you might want to do the math and figure out you probably need to make margin in your life. And if you go to the Holy Spirit and you say, Spirit, show me what, how I can create margin. What do I need to leave behind? Do I need to watch less TV? Do I need to be involved in less? Am I working too much? I don't know. The Holy Spirit will, he's totally capable to bring to mind whatever it is you need to leave behind. So that's what we do. That's what he does. How will they hear? Through messengers, normal, everyday people. Some of you will become vocational like me. When I started coming to Grace Community Church in 1988, I was a college student and I had no intention of becoming a pastor. After I became a Christian, I didn't think that I was qualified to be a pastor because I'd never been to seminary. I assumed that the natural course that I would go on and I would teach science in high school and I would coach wrestling. And I did for a few years. But I felt called to ministry. So I left those nets. Some of you will be called to that. Others of you will not be called to vocational ministry, but you will nonetheless fish for men and women wherever God has you. That's how it works. How will they hear? God will make us, you and me, us corporately and us as individuals, fishers of men. Implications for our church. What does this mean? It means that, first of all, our focus is on training one another to be and make disciples. Okay. I am thrilled that all of you are here. But a metric for success in a local church is not how many people pack in on Sunday morning. Why? Because you can be totally passive observers on a Sunday morning. I'm not discounting the importance of corporate worship. I wouldn't be here if it were not important. However, a church can become very large and very shallow if all that happens in the body of Christ are people come and they stomp their foot as the banjo plays and they laugh at all the right times in the sermon and cry at all the right times in the sermon and feel convicted. People even say, oh, I just love it to be convicted. You know, conviction is great, but if it doesn't lead to change and obedience, it's utterly worthless. So the goal, the metric is not the number of people. The goal, the metric for success is are people 
obeying Christ. Jesus says to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, not understand, obey everything that he commands. What does that entail? It means that we become like Jesus in our character. If Brooks never grows in gentleness, humility, patience, kindness, and all of the virtues of Christ, if I'm the same knucklehead that I was when I was 21 years old and I haven't changed, that is not success. But if I become more and more like Christ in my character, that's what it looks like. And the same is true for all of you. Now, what happens when people, the people of God, become more like Jesus? What happens to your relationships? What happens to your marriage? They become sweet. They become savory. They become wholesome. There's a purifying element. What happens in the workplace? God uses you as salt and light when you become more like him. That's when our character changes, but there's something else. We have to focus on training one there to be like Jesus, but also to make disciples. This also means that we adopt not only his character, we don't just become like him, but we adopt his agenda. His agenda is to see the people around us and the nations come to know Jesus. It's not enough for you to say, I just want to be like Jesus. Do you want to see people come to know Jesus? You say, well, no, you're not following him then. You cannot follow Jesus and not want others to follow him. It doesn't work that way. He will shake the apathy from you because he will show you his beauty, his majesty, his glory, and the fact that others don't have that. We cannot selfishly hide our light under a bushel. Say, well, at least I have Jesus. Well, good for you. Does your neighbor know Christ? Well, I don't know my neighbor. There's a place to start. Well, I don't have time. Again, back to the nets in the margin. You see the issue? We're called to follow Christ. So our goal is to focus not on, you know, as Josh said, our goal, we've never had a discussion. How can we get more people here? We've had lots of discussions. How can we get more people involved in the body of Christ so they can be trained, so they can be equipped? Thrive class. Classes, plural. There's lots of different offerings. I want to encourage you to go to the website, graceb3.org slash events. One class in particular has the name Making Disciples. Hmm, what might be the focus of this class? It's on Making Disciples. If those of you who are like, I just don't know how to do this, and you want to learn what it means to become fishers of men, that class is tailor-made for you. So I want to encourage you to consider attending that. Now, I also want to encourage you to go and and check it out, because there's also other classes. There's the grandparents class. It's not a class. It's a, it's a new thing that Tommy and Glenda Witter started. It's about helping grandparents recognize that their role is to make disciples of, guess, guess, their grandchildren. Exactly. Not just spoil them, but how do you build into them? Parents, how do you disciple your children? This is all about discipleship. This is all about training and equipping one another to help one another see the beauty and majesty of Christ so that we might believe, so that he might make us fishers of men, so that he might manifest his character in and through us. Okay. Corporately, though, we want to multiply ourselves, individuals who make disciples, who then make disciples. But what does that look like 
in a community setting. It means that as community groups, you ought to aspire your community groups, for those of you that are in community groups, those community groups ought to grow because people are coming to know Jesus and they're being discipled. They ought to then multiply and become more community groups. What does that look like corporately in a church? It, it looks a lot like the service begins to grow because more people start coming to know Christ. And what do you do next? Well, we could just continue to add services ad nauseum. We used to have three and then COVID happened. And then hundreds of people decided to stay home or go to other churches. And that's their prerogative. But now we're full again. So we could go to three services. And we probably will, but more on that at a different time. More on that at a different time. But that's not the solution. We are called to multiply congregations. It's called church planning. Church planning. Peter Wagner, missiologist, said, Planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. End of story. Some fun facts. I like fun facts. Do you like fun facts? Let's look at some trivia here. Some trivia. In 1820, there was one church for every 820 people in this country at the time. That's not very many. And as, there was, as the westward expansion started to, to move, there was, a, there was a huge emphasis on planting churches in all the different church traditions and denominations. The goal is to have a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church, a Catholic church in every frontier city. And so there was a, a church planting wave so that by 1900, there was one church for every 450 people. That's pretty decent. If you go to downtown Iowa City, you'll notice that there are very, very old churches on every city block, usually two or three. That was normal. That was normal. By 2019, there were three, just the year 2019, there were 3,500 churches that were planted. That means they opened their doors, brand new churches. You say, that sounds awesome. Yes, but at the same year, there were 4,000 that closed their doors. Now, that was all pre-COVID. COVID accelerated the closing of many, many churches. That trend started just after World War I. That, that means the decline in the number of churches. Why? Well, you know how people are, including pastors and denominations. Once the westward expansion ended and there were no more new cities, the churches are like, you know, we already have a Baptist church in the area. We don't need another one. We've already got a Presbyterian church. We don't need another one. So there was a... Now you start to, instead of reaching new people, now the church begins to take on a different flavor and it's to, it's to placate the attenders. They, instead of reaching the people in the community and reaching the people on the frontier, now it's about burying and baptizing and marrying and just maintaining. And, and if another church comes into town, the pastors and the congregation, they feel that that is somewhat of a threat to their market share, if you will. That is utterly satanic and just flat out stupid. So what does that mean for today? It means that in North Liberty, I did, I did a Google search. There are 11 churches. Now, I didn't say 11 churches that preach the word of God. I said 11 churches. 11 churches. And in North Liberty, there's a population roughly of 20,800 and some. Do the math. That's one church 
for every 1,897 people. You can do math. Do you see the trend? That is why we have the honor, tongue-in-cheek, sarcasm coming, of being among the least biblically literate cities in the nation. American Bible Society and the Barna Group found the corridor area, that's from Waterloo to Iowa City, includes Cedar Rapids, it includes Iowa City, Corville, North Liberty, 380 corridor, found them among the five least biblically literate cities in the United States of America. So what's the solution? Let me tell you what's not the solution. Add a third service at Grace. Now, that's not a bad thing. We're going to have to do that. But that doesn't solve the problem. What does solve the problem? More Bible teaching churches. That map represents where all of you live that come to this church. We have people that come from up north of Robbins. Brooklyn? That's insane. <laughs> Far south of Wellman, Kelowna area. There's a 60-mile radius. Over the years, over the years, and I would say not necessarily intentionally. Well, 10 years ago, we intentionally planted the, the uh, old brick. That's the purple dot there. We planted a church downtown. Accidentally, on purpose, because we kept talking about multiplying, that we wanted to be a movement and not a monument, that we valued church planting without any clue on how to actually do it. Since that time, we've helped a church get started in Belle Plaine. We helped launch River City Church in Riverside, Iowa. And we helped launch Jordan Creek Church in Solon. All very inefficiently, I might add. But those three churches are up and running. So what are we going to do moving forward? We've already discussed over the years that there is no more room on this site We've tried to buy land from around us and our neighbor won't budge, won't even square, sell us a piece of gravel. So that's not going to happen. But we have purchased land, Kansas Avenue. That's the little red dot there. Kansas Avenue, it's just on the east side of 380 off of Forever Green Road. So that first North Liberty, North Liberty exit. We have 15 acres there and... We plan to do something with it. Now, originally, we kind of tossed the idea around of, well, we'll sell this location and we'll move the church there because there's much, much, there's much room. That is, that is, that's nonsense. Why, why would we sell this? Has anyone driven on Dubuque Street recently? How many of you drove up Dubuque Street or down Dubuque Street to get here? Most of you. Have you noticed all of the, the fields which used to be bean fields which are now being developed and, and they're making houses there and there's a high school there and they're going to build an elementary school there and a, and a junior high there? It makes no sense at all to sell this building. What makes more sense is to create two churches where there used to be one so that this church can reach those people and the other church on Kansas Avenue can continue to plant churches, not accidentally, but on purpose. For the glory of God, that Christ might be known, that there might be more than one church for every 1,897 people in North Liberty, but that there might be one church for every 450 people in Johnson County. 
I remember when Veritas came into town. Do you know what my flesh said? They're too close to us. Nonsense! Praise God for Veritas. Praise God for Parkview. Praise God for any Bible teaching church where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news has been going out to the masses. You should pray for those churches. They are not in competition for market share. We are fishers of men fishing for people that don't yet know Christ. That's the only reason a church exists. To plant churches. So we want to be a church that multiplies. We need to plant church. We want a movement. We do not want a monument. What is a monument? A monument is a monolithic church that just keeps getting bigger where no one knows one another and you can slip in and slip out and no one notices. Just like today. That's not a goal. It's not a measurement of success to see how many people can get here. What success looks like is when those individuals become disciples who make disciples who seek to obey and become fishers of men. So we need to plant churches so those of you with the gift of preaching and teaching can become preachers and teachers. Someday I'm going to get old. That's, never mind that. I am old. I'm going to get older. If I am not actively looking right now for who is going to replace me and train them up, I have no idea why I'm here. And that's why we're doing preaching cohorts. And that's why you see occasionally people that are preaching that are not me. You say, well, I don't like it when they preach. It doesn't matter what you like. I'm not running for mayor. I'm trying to cha- train people to teach, to preach, and to fish for men. So that we can have not one, not two, not five, but we can have dozens of churches which are in this area and to the very ends of the earth. That's what it looks like. I'm getting a little bit excited. So Dubuque Street, the current property is well located to minister to the community alongside Dubuque Street, which flows, by the way, flows it's like a river. It, it moves from North Liberty through Coralville into Iowa City. So this particular location is perfect for that, that community. Kansas Avenue is still perfect for this community as well, but because it's along Forever Green and 380, it has access to the corridor, which lends itself, lends itself to minister to and help those of you who drive further away to plant new churches. I'm so pumped that there is a group from Amana. Is there, how many of you are from the Amana area and you attend that fellowship occasionally? So look around, you see those hands? They are almost ready to start their own congregation. Praise God. Why not, the, why not the other areas? There is no why not. Those should have, they should have churches too. And that's our aspiration. That's our desire. That's our desire. And that's where we're headed. So, where do we start? First of all, make a choice. Make a choice to make margins so that you can abide in Christ. It begins with repenting and believing. Trust Jesus yourself. Begin to follow him. Become a follower instead of a fan. You know what a fan does? Attends and cheers. A follower is someone who gets in the fray, abides, leaves their nets, becomes equipped, shares their faith. It's like my mother-in-law. All you have to do is be available and ready and say, okay, how do you want to use me? He'll use you. Pray for your church. Some of you are visiting Grace Community Church is not your church. Whatever church is your church, 
pray for your church. Or maybe Grace Community Church should become your church. Pray for your church. But then pray for the church. The church means all people of God who are preaching the gospel everywhere. Churches that are not your church, but they're in the community. Pray for them, that God might bless them and use them. Pray for the world. Your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your teammates, your, 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 your fellow students, your coworkers, your neighbors, be they international or otherwise. Pray for the world. And then go fish for men. Go fish for men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you, being a fisher of men, have fished for us. And you've called us to repent and you've called us to believe. Thank you that you have saved. And thank you that you are sanctifying. Lord, give us the courage to follow you, to abandon our nets, whatever those might be. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to hearts individually that you'd speak to hearts this morning and that you would help us to follow you and that you would help us collectively to be a church that trains and equips and, and, and Lord, a church that plants other churches. God, we are asking you to do a work in and through us that only you can do for your good, for your glory. And Lord, we just pray this, that Christ might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Again, as we close every service, if you would like to be prayed for, you have a specific prayer request, we'd love to pray for you up front. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.